Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of Matthew as we continue our series uh, studying some parts of the book of Matthew. It's a four-week series, and we're going to continue from where we uh, were this morning. And uh, I'm just so glad that you're here, uh, glad to be able to have the guests that we had this morning and guests this evening, and it's just wonderful. And I'll tell you, folks, if you just are busy, if we're busy about inviting folks out, people will come. People come because they've been invited by others, and I would encourage you to do that if you would. Um, and I want us to take a look at just a couple key verses, and I'm not going to read the whole text for time's sake uh, this evening, but just a couple key verses here in Matthew as we're looking at the sovereignty of God. And the whole idea of this is understanding if we just simply and immediately obey God, God's sovereign plan will unfold around us. And he will show us that he's got a sovereign plan for each and every one of us. You say, well, I'm X many years old. I, I, you know, I've lived my life and uh, I'm just waiting for the upper taker. Well, listen, if you're still here on earth, God has a sovereign plan for your life. Your plan is not over. It has not ended, you know. We think too many times in America about retirement age, and that's when we're going to coast. And, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't retire. Uh, that's when you retire, I think that's the time that you ought to put extra time into the work of God. I really do. And that's where you ought to spend extra time and help serving in the work of God when you retire, as you're able to and be able to do those things. But so many times we allow the thinking of the world to creep in into our thinking as Christianity and because that's the way the world thinks, that's the way we as Christians think, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And uh, like I said, if you're still here, you still have breath in your body, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And your plan and purpose does not end until your last breath. Okay, now look, I understand it was time change, you know, yesterday, and I understand that you lost an hour of sleep, but so did I. And if I'm going to give it everything tonight, I want you to give it everything tonight, all right? Come on now, all right. A couple verses here I want us to take a look at. Verse 13 of chapter 2. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now take a look at verse 17. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremy, or Jeremiah, the prophet, saying. Then take a look at verse 23. And he came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us as we take these uh, moments that we have and we dive into your scriptures and that we study your word and that as you use uh, me to be able to preach your word, Father, I pray that we be able to gain Bible principles to be able to apply to our life as we are looking at your sovereign plan for our life and that you have a distinct plan for each and every one of us. And Father, I would ask that you would help us to um, be able to understand your word, let your Holy Spirit guide us. And I pray, Father, that we would be better Christians today than we were yesterday. 
And Father, I ask that you would help me to be, uh, uh, strengthen me to, uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Help me to be pure and clean before you as I present your word. We love you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If God has a sovereign plan for my life and for your life, the first question that I would ask, if that's really true, then how do I know that? How do I know what God's sovereign plan or his overarching plan for my life is? And what are the elements to that? I mean, there's got to be some type of indicators to be able to let me know what God has for me. And as we saw this morning in this passage of Scripture, that sometimes God gives a warning. The first thing is that God gives us a warning. We saw that in verses 13 through 15, how God used a warning to be able to unveil his sovereign plan for Mary and Joseph in order to be able to protect the Christ child. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that they heeded the warning of God and that they obeyed God. And, and we saw that in heeding the warning, and, and we, we saw a couple things about that. The first thing that we saw was that obedience to God's warning can be difficult. Obedience to God's warning can be difficult. Uh, obedience is not always easy. It's not always easy, but obedience to God is always right. Just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not right to do. But secondly, we saw that um, not only it was uh, the, the obedience, that sometimes it is not always easy, it can be difficult. We see that obedience to God's warning is to be without hesitation. It's to be immediate. When God tells us to do something from his word, it shouldn't that we, we shouldn't question God and we shouldn't him and haul around, but we ought to immediately obey God's word. And I spoke to you on the reasons for that because then Satan will get a foothold and start to plant doubts in, in your mind and you'll start to question what you know is true and what you know is right. And then you may not do what God has called you to do or told you to do. So obedience can be difficult. Obedience should be without hesitation. But then thirdly, we learn that obedience to God's warnings may mean waiting. And we see that Mary and Joseph were to go to Egypt and they had to wait. And the most difficult part about being obedient to God in waiting is that we don't know the length of time before we get an answer or before we get deliverance. And because of that, it makes obedience difficult. But that is beside the point. Difficulty is not a reason for disobedience to God's word. Hey, listen, it was from a human standpoint, as I was reading through once again the, the uh, crucifixion of Christ this morning, it was difficult for Jesus in his humanity to be obedient unto the Father. It was a difficult thing to do. Now, he did it willingly, but it was still a difficult thing to do. If it wasn't difficult, he wouldn't have said, let this cup pass from me. He wouldn't have said that if it wasn't difficult. It wouldn't say in Hebrews that, that despising the shame, if it wasn't difficult to go to the cross, that he endured. So we see that just because obedience to God's warning is difficult, it doesn't mean that we have, just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we should be disobedient. But secondly, I want us to see here in the sovereignty of God's plan for our life, the first element is that God gives a warning the second element sometimes, the unfolding of God's sovereign plan for us, is that God gives a witness. Take a look, if you will, in verses 16 through 18 in Matthew chapter 2. 
Well, let's take a look. We'll take a look at verses 17 and 18 first. Take a look there. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. If God's giving a witness, my first question is, well, what kind of witness is it? We see, letter A, that it's a prophetic witness. It is a prophetic witness. God uses the prophet Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah, if you would. That's in the Old Testament, chapter 31. If you're a newer Christian uh, and, and you've got the Bible there, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible. Go right to the front of the Bible, and you can see exactly where Jeremiah is, underneath the Old Testament. Look it up underneath the Old. There's two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books for a combination of 66 books. And by the way, the Bible is like a, a puzzle that you put together. Any book that you would leave out is just like leaving a piece of the puzzle out. The picture is incomplete. We need to look at all the Word of God to be able to understand the type of God that we have and who He is and how He loves us and how He wants to care for us. But if you're a new Christian, you can be able to find the book of Jeremiah there, and it'll tell you the page number, and use it and look it up. And in Jeremiah, we see this prophetic witness. God uses the prophet Jeremiah to pr predict the future of the anguish of the nation of Israel. Take a look. And thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 31, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31, 15. Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. This prophecy right here from Jeremiah, it's called a type prophecy. And it's a fulfillment of the type during the time of Christ. It was already fulfilled, but it's also a type of what was coming, what was going to happen. During, Jeremiah's, uh, during Jeremiah, as he was a prophet here, when he was prophet, King Nebuzardan of Babylon had invaded and destroyed Jerusalem. And all the captives at that time were brought to this place called Ramah, this city called Ramah. I believe, if I remember correctly, it's a, in, in studying and things, it's a little bit north of Bethlehem there. And he did with them what, they ple what he pleased. Ramah, you say, well, I've never heard of Ramah. Actually, you have, because Ramah was the place where Elkanah and Hannah lived. Remember, Hannah was the lady who could not have a baby, and she prayed to God, and that's where we got Samuel. 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel in the Bible. And by the way, you've, you've heard of Ramah before. Well, what was that? That's where Samuel the prophet lived. So it, it was a, a, a pretty important place in the word of God. And, and when King Nebuzardan took the captives, many of the captives at that time, they took them off to Babylon, were children, which caused great sorrow. Because when one an individual went into captivity, it was a final goodbye. Those who were left, they, 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 those who were left in the city, they would never see those people who were taken captive again. Think if we were invaded, America was invaded this evening, and your children and your grandchildren were ripped from you this evening. I'm sure there would be a great many tears. Some of you, I know your kids, there might be rejoicing, but... Um, 
But on a serious note, there would be a great many tears, would there not? This was the scene. See, when you were taken off to captivity, there was no contact anymore. There was, there was no information. There was, there was nothing to be transferred back and forth. They didn't know how their loved ones were doing. They didn't even know if they were living. And this was the scene in Ramah at this time when these children and, these, uh, and family members were taken away, which is a foreshadowing of exactly what was happening here in Matthew chapter 2 at the scene of Bethlehem and the murder of all the baby boys two years and under. I can't imagine the sorrow of a mother to be able to have that happen to her child. But this was part of the prophetic witness that God had in his plan to bring Israel back to himself. But not only do I see that it was a prophetic witness, I see that there was a person of wickedness. God gives, a, gives us a, wit, a witness with a prophetic witness, but he uses a person of wickedness. Take a look at Matthew 2 and verse 16. Matthew 2 and verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. God's witness is also found in a person of wickedness here in the, in the, the form of King Herod. It was the evil hatred of King Herod that ordered all the baby boys two years and under to be killed. I want you to think about something. How hard-hearted do you have to be to be able to do something like that? How troubled is your mind to be able to think of something like that? How horrific. All to be able to save his throne. Herod was a very wicked and evil man. He was so paranoid about losing his throne that that's the reason he did this. He had all the baby boys wiped out. He was drunk with power. That's the type of man that he was. And he tried to use, now listen, this is the point here, that he tried to use his power to stop God's plan. God gave a prophetic witness, but God used, used a person of wickedness as a witness as well. You say, well, how does this work? See, Herod was being used by Satan to try and stop God's plan. What was God's plan? Well, God's plan was to bring a Savior into the world by the name of Jesus. And, and, and that Savior was to be able to set people free from their sins. If Satan could stop that plan, then the world would be his oyster. Satan's always tried to stop the plan. Satan tried to stop the plan in the garden. And he's been trying to stop the plan ever since. But... What we need to remember is that God's word will not fail. Though the evil one fights fiercely, God's word is sure and will not return unto him void. I want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. See, God's word is going to accomplish what it says it will accomplish. 
Sometimes in the unfolding of God's sovereign plan for your life, he uses a warning. Then he will use a witness. Take a look in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. This is what God says about his word. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void unto me, unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. I want you to get a hold of this principle for your life and that God has a sovereign plan for your life. And now, this is key. It does not matter. It does not matter how powerful evil seems to be. It will never, ever be powerful enough to defeat the sovereign purpose and plan of God. Never. See, since God has a sovereign purpose and plan for your life, and you're simply and immediately being obedient unto God, it does not matter who or what is trying to stop God's purpose for your life. If you're obedient unto Christ, he will fulfill his purpose in your life. Listen. Simple and immediate obedience, you know what that means for you? That you are invincible. What do you mean? Nothing can stop you because you're being obedient unto God. You are literally invincible. Because Mary and Joseph were being simply and immediately obedient unto God, nothing could stop God's plan. Nothing. But as I mentioned to you this morning, if you decide to do your own thing and be disobedient to God, you have left yourself open to total vulnerability. You've left yourself open to total attack. Now, that doesn't mean that if we're obedient to God that we will not be attacked. We will be attacked. The Bible tells us that. But the simple fact of the matter is that though we're being attacked, there is, and we continue to trust God, there is nothing that can stop God's sovereign plan for our life. I don't know about you, but that's comforting to, uh, for me to know as I'm obedient unto God simply and immediately that though uh, somebody of wickedness or though evil may come against me and try and stop what God has for me, if I just walk with God, guess what? I can continue to go forward because God is with me. I don't have to worry about it. See, sometimes we worry about things that we don't have to worry about. You say, well, how do you know that? I want you to turn over to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1 verse 6. How do you know that it cannot be stopped? How do you know that God will not stop uh, his sovereign purpose, his sovereign plan for my life as I'm simply and immediately obedient unto him? The Bible says, being confident of this very thing, Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You say, what work did God begin in me? For by grace you get saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, the, the, the work that he begun in each and every one of us who know Christ, our personal Savior, is our salvation. And he will continue to do that work in us. And we will be able to live out the sovereign plan that he has and the purposes that he has for our life as we are obedient to him. Too many times, folks, I believe that we think that evil is so strong and it causes us sometimes to doubt 
the ability of God. It really does. It seems like that evil is winning and God is losing. But let me tell you something. Evil, it may look like evil's winning, but evil's not winning. Evil's not winning. God's winning. You say, well, it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't matter whether it seems like it. It doesn't matter whether it looks like it. I would tell you, if you question it, just read the end of the book. God wins. He wins every time. See, and too many times we think that, that because evil seems so strong and, and powerful that we doubt the ability of God, but we learn that God is so powerful and that he is sovereign over all that he even, now listen, that he even can use evil means and evil men to accomplish his will. That's exactly what he did here. He used evil means and evil men to accomplish his will. Read the book of Habakkuk. That's what Habakkuk cries out. He complains to God and says, uh, God, how are you going to use a, a nation more evil than your own people? God used the nation more evil than his own people to bring his people back to God. Folks, listen, if God the Father can use the cross of Christ, which from a human standpoint was the most evil thing that could ever be done. Now we know that Christ laid down his life freely no man takes it from him but from a human standpoint it looks like man took christ's life if god can take the most evil thing that's ever been done upon the face of the earth and turn it into something good for his glory and for our salvation then don't you think that if you are simply and immediately obedient unto him that he will take the evil and maybe the evil means or evil people that are trying to stop what God has in your life, if you just continue to follow him, that he can use that for your good and his glory. I believe that if he can do that with the cross, he can do it in our life. See, we need to understand that as believers that God gives us a witness and sometimes the witness may be a wicked person or a wicked thing, but God will use it. I want you to turn to Psalm 76, because I want you to see this here, about what God says about evil. It's really interesting. Because too many times we think, oh, evil's going to win. No, it's not. Take a look in Psalm 76 and verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall, what's it say? Praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. Um, Herod? Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. You know what he's saying? He's saying that God can use evil men and evil means to accomplish his will in your life. But thirdly, we see the element, another element. Turn back to Matthew chapter 2. God gives his word. Not only does God give uh, a warning to be able to unveil his sovereign plan. God gives a witness to unveil his sovereign plan, but God gives his word. Take a look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23. And it came to and, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. God gives his word. The first thing that I see is that we have a trustworthy book, a trustworthy book. Joseph is going to Nazareth, and as he's going, that is another fulfillment of prophecy of Scripture. It was, it was just as God gave it to the prophets. But I want you to see something about this trustworthy book. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1, if you will. Too many times men uh, uh, will say that this book was written by man, or men will say that there are errors in this book, or men will say that there's inconsistencies in this book, or men will say that there's contradictions in this book. Look, listen. There are no errors, there are no contradictions, there are no inconsistencies, but there are parts of the Word of God I don't understand. But there are parts of the Word of God that I don't see how it all fits together. But there are parts of the Word of God that I've got to study a little bit deeper and ask God to give me light into what His Word has to say. Just because, listen, just because you don't understand it and just because it may not make sense to you and just because it doesn't look like it lines up to you does not mean that the Bible is not trustworthy. Take a look, if you will. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, because if you are the one to determine whether the Bible is trustworthy or not, then... You become God, and God is not God. Take a look at Galatians. I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12. Talking about the word of God. For I neither received it of man, neither was, taught, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy, you may want to write this down. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, and, and then verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Take a look at 2 Peter, if you will, please. This is a good verse to be able to show those that, that, that would say, well, this book was just written by man. I've heard some say because of what Paul says about uh, men and women in the Bible. Well, Paul wrote that from a male chauvinist standpoint, and he was just influenced by the culture of his day. That really doesn't mean what it says in the Word of God. Well, listen, if that's the case there, that it doesn't really mean what it says, that part there, then please tell me what other parts don't really mean what it says. Does, does it not mean that Jesus is going to forgive all my sins? Does it only mean that Jesus is going to forgive some of my sins? Does it mean that only some people are going to get saved and that other people uh, can't have salvation? Do, I mean, does it mean that? No, it's either a totally trustworthy book or, listen, this is a hoax. It's either all or nothing. See, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That's what liberal theologians want you to believe, that you can have your cake and eat it too. But this book is a trustworthy book, and God gives us his word to help reveal his sovereign plan for our life. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. 2 Peter 1 and verse 20. Knowing this first. Okay, this is the first thing that you need to know about the Bible, he says. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Okay? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. What's it say there? For the prophecy came not in the old time, in old time, in years gone by, in past time, by the will of man. Okay, well then how did it come? 
But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what happened? There's, there's two qualifications here about the word of God, why it's trustworthy. First, they were holy men of God. God just didn't choose anybody to write his word. These were people that walked with God. But secondly, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, one of the applications that we can take from this and apply to our lives is that we can depend upon the word of God. Listen, the word of God will never give you the wrong answers to life. This is the only book that will always give you the right answers to all the questions of, of life. And we also re must remember that the trustworthiness of the Bible is based not upon our understanding. The trustworthiness of the Bible is based upon the very character of God. And God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to do so. If he did lie to us, at the very moment that he lied, he would cease to be God. So when it comes to God's sovereign plan for your life and for my life, we have the word of God to rely on. But I also want you to take a look, letter B, the testimony of many. There was a trustworthy book, but there is the testimony of many, letter B. Look what the, book, the, the Bible says here in verse 23. It says, spoken by the prophets. Spoken by the prophets. What are you getting at, Pastor? This prophecy was not just limited to one prophet. But there were multiple prophets that spoke about Jesus being from Nazareth. Now we've got a problem. I just told you that the Bible was a trustworthy book. Do you realize in the Old Testament there is not one mention of Nazareth? Uh-oh. I don't understand that. There's not one mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament. The Bible says, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. But in the Old Testament, you can't find Nazareth. So what do we do? I don't understand that. Just because Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament, it is no less a prophecy that was spoken in the Old Testament. So what were the multiple prophecies? If Nazareth was not mentioned, what are the multiple prophecies or prophetic testimony that Jesus was going to be from Nazareth or that he would live in Nazareth? Well, to live in Nazareth was to live in a town that was despised. Nazareth was so corrupt in every way that if you lived there, when it was mentioned that you lived there, not only was the town itself despised, but the people were despised. I want you to turn to John chapter 1, if you will. The Gospel of John chapter 1. It says, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? This was the testimony of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see, speaking of Jesus. Now I want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 53 because I, I want to show you one of the references where it mentions that Jesus 
was a Nazarene without ever mentioning, without ever mentioning Nazareth or Nazarene. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 53. Now remember, Nazareth was to be, to be from Nazareth was to be despised. That's key. It's to be despised. Isaiah chapter 53, it helps answer this question of if Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament, then how can we say that this prophecy is accurate? Take a look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. What's the first three words there? What's it say? Say it out loud with me if you would. Ready? Begin. He is despised. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. See, the Bible is true. There is a prophetic witness. It was witnessed right here by, by Isaiah. And this was part of God's sovereign plan for Jesus. He knew that they would not want a suffering Savior. He knew that the people would, would want a strong, conquering sovereign. But instead, Jesus was despised. He came from a place that was literally despised. And so therefore, men would despise him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Sometimes part of God's sovereign plan for the life of those who are obedient to his word is suffering or scorn. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 29. See, the Bible tells us it cannot be but otherwise. If you're in the middle of God's plan, his purpose for your life, sometimes you will suffer. Sometimes there will be scorning. Take a look at Proverbs 27, uh, 29 and verse 27. Proverbs 29, 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. See, all those who are living godly, that means living within God's sovereign plan. Listen, you cannot be living godly if you're not living within God's sovereign plan. If you're not living within God's purpose for your life, God's sovereign plan for your life, you're not being obedient to God. Therefore, you can't be living godly. It's an impossibility. So that's why it's imperative that we make sure that, hey, we are following what God wants for us in our life. But if you are living godly, living in his plan for your life, you will suffer some type of uh, uh, rebuke, some type of, of, of persecution, if you will. But the wonderful thing of it is, is that you don't go at it alone. You have the Holy Spirit to guide you, and you have the Word of God to comfort you. Romans 15, 4 tells us that for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So though we may suffer because, of, uh, 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 because we're trying to live in God's perfect plan, there is comfort and there is, is uh, um, um, security and there is um, patience that we develop from the word of God that will help us be better Christians. See, the goal for us is to be conformed to the very image of Christ. If I were to ask you this evening, how many in here would like to be more Christ-like? If you're a serious Christian, you're gonna raise your hand. Then to be more Christ-like 
you've got to take a look at something. I would ask you another question. Is the servant above the master? Well, no. The servant's not above the master. The master's above the servant. So if the world persecuted the master for the way that he lived, following God's will for his life, if you will, in his humanity, Jesus in humanity, he said, I've come not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. That's exactly what Jesus said. So in his humanity, he was doing the will of the Father. He was following God's sovereign plan for his life. So if Jesus is the master and they persecuted him, then if we want to be Christ-like, we're going to also suffer. The Bible tells us, Paul says, that we fill up the afflictions of Christ. See, sometime part of God's sovereign plan for you is to fill up the afflictions of Christ. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? It's not that the affliction of Christ was that, that Jesus, that we've got to do more because what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. That's not what he's saying. That the affliction that Jesus went through, just it, it wasn't enough for God. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. When Paul says we are filling up the afflictions of Christ, what he's saying is that, that because Christ is not here, the world's going to afflict us. If Christ was here, they would afflict Christ instead of us. But we fill up, if you will, that terminology, the afflictions of Christ because we do what is right. And sometimes when you are following God's plan for your life, there are times when you will suffer. You say, well, what should I do, pastor? Go back to the word. Go back to the word. Because that's the only hope that you have. That's all that you can do. Because guess what? When you're going through it, people can try and say things to you and they mean well and, and even and be, give nice platitudes. But when you're all alone in the middle of the night and you're trying to do what God wants you to do and it seems like everything around you is going wrong but you're trying to do what's right, the only thing that will help is going back to the word of God. Because let's face it, as kind as people are and as they try and help you, don't their words fail sometimes? I mean, they just do. Sometimes we say the wrong thing. For example, some, for example you're, somebody, you find, they find out they've got cancer, okay? And uh, somebody comes up and says, oh, well, what type of cancer you have? I was diagnosed with melanoma on my shoulder. You know that, okay? And somebody comes up to you and they say, well, what type of cancer is it, Pastor? Well, it's melanoma. Oh, well, you know, my, my aunt, she had melanoma, and within three years, she was dead. I'll be praying for you, Pastor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, I, I mean, they're trying to be an encouragement, but that's really not an encouragement, okay? All right, don't tell me about your aunt who died from melanoma. I want to know about the person who survived melanoma. That's who I want to hear about, okay? The point is, people's words fail you, don't they? But guess what? When you're walking through the shadow of death, and God's unfolding his sovereign plan for you, but you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because you know that your shepherd's with you. He may seem far off, but really... He's right there. He's right there. God's sovereign plan, God wants to unfold it for us right before our eyes. But we have to be willing to be simply and immediately obedient unto him. Sometimes 
It's done through a warning. Sometimes it's done through a witness. Sometimes it's done through the word. But God does have a plan for your life. Let me ask you a question. Are you living out God's plan for your life? Mary and Joseph did. You said, well, if I just wish an angel would come and tell me what to do. Yeah, sometimes I wish that too. <laughs> you said, well, what's God's plan for me? I, I don't want you to come running up to me after service. Well, what's God's sovereign plan for me? Pastor, I, I want to be. Look, yeah, how do you determine that? This is how you determine it. Here you go. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you open up your Bible, you read the Word of God, you pray, maybe you memorize a passage or two, you meditate on it for a few minutes, you turn yourself over, Lord, I want to be in your perfect will today. I pray that you guide me and direct me. I want to know exactly what you have for me. And you go about your day in dependence upon the Lord. That's how you do it. You don't worry about, well, I, I, it, no, it's one day at a time. And sometimes it's one hour at a time. Sometimes it's one minute at a time. Or sometimes just moment by moment. Sometimes all that you can say is, Lord, I just need you. I just need you. Look, when God unveils his sovereign plan, Mary and Joseph... They didn't know all the ins and outs. They didn't know, they didn't have the answers to all the questions. All that they did was they were just simply and immediately obedient to what God told them for that day, for that time period. And you know what? If you do that every day, you will end up at the end of your life in God's sovereign plan for your life. It may not look like mine. That's okay. It doesn't have to. But if you just do that, you will end up walking with the Lord and fulfilling your purpose for your life.